Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Proudly celebrating 15 years, here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in cybersecurity strategies. With me on today's show are Wanda jones Heat, Chief Information Security Officer at the U.S. Air Force, Venus Goodwine, Chief Information Security Officer at USDA, Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Chris Usserman, Principal Security Architect at Infoblocks, Jim Richberg, Field Chief Information Officer, Fortinet, and John Powers, VP of U.S. and Federal Sales at BMC Software. Well, we got multi-clouds out there. We got hybrid clouds out there. We got zero trust, SOC consolidations, and explosion of technology. Great mix of agencies and departments here and a whole bunch of partners that are helping make all this happen. So, uh, Wanda, let's start with you. A lot of activity going on over there at the, uh, at the, uh, at the Air Force. And I just can't imagine trying to secure satellites and aircraft and bases and deal with the defense industrial base. A lot on your plate. Why don't you give us a state of the state as to what's happening over there these days? Well, good afternoon, Luke and, and uh, team. Um, thank you from Team um, Air Force. Um, as you mentioned, we have a lot of great activity um, underway in the Air Force. We've made progress and we do understand that we do have uh, more things to accomplish. I'll start out by saying that I've drafted a uh, cybersecurity strategic plan, and this is going to be our roadmap for the entire department to enable us to properly identify and secure all of our assets. Um, we're continuing to leverage pen testing, uh, bug bounties. We just commissioned uh, the start of Hack the Air Force 5.0. Um, we're continuing to find and fix those critical uh, vulnerabilities and gaps. Uh, we have reformed our risk management process. Um, I've talked about it before. Fast Track ATO is continuing to be a great way for us to secure and address uh, risk at every level. And we've also uh, provided a guide on our organization risk tolerance baseline. That allows us to give our folks the left and right bounds to ensure that we are doing the right things. The initial phases are underway and we're seeing progress. And then lastly, we're continuing to focus on uh, DevSecOps. And what I wanna do is operationalize that now and continuous ATO. So that's just a snippet of just some of the things that have been going on within the department. And like I mentioned before, we have a lot of different uh, initiatives underway. Sounds like it. And I hear a lot about DevSecOps and uh, a really important um, uh, uh, element of trying to deliver uh, very quickly in regards to uh, getting those uh, ATOs delivered. And I know we all have this dream of ATO in a day, right? Venus, um, a lot of activity going on over at USDA. I know that you were working very hard on doing your SOC consolidation based on some good, uh, good logic and good standards and taking the emotion out of it, et cetera. How's everything going over there? A lot of moving parts these days. Absolutely. Good morning to um, you and, of course, my panel members. So, first of all, my initiatives at the department um, are based on how I measured. And as you notice, we just received the FATARA scorecard. And so that was a huge accomplishment, really, from cybersecurity, because a year ago, when we started this, you know, we, we had a failing grade in cybersecurity. But I'm proud to say here we are one year later, and we've increased our grade two letters 
And so now while I still have a C and I know that's average, we're definitely on our way to improving um, our cybersecurity score here at Department of Agriculture. And that's a whole of USDA effort, myself, my team, as well as the mission areas. And so of course, and part of that is including our, our CAP goals as well, our cross um, agency priority goals um, set by the president's management agenda. Again, we're improving their 10 CAP goals. We're mastering nine of those 10. And so my team is hard at work making sure that we're meeting all of our regulatory, you know, law policy regulatory requirements. But back to your mention about the SecOps consolidation. Yes, we've now reorganized um, our individuals and when you take 29 staff offices and agencies and combine all of the SOC functions into one under one roof, you must imagine that definitely is um, somewhat of a challenge, right? Because of the way the agencies are funded individually. Um, but we've, we've been able to do that. We've been able to unify our processes. And more importantly, um, through my tools wrap, tools, um, um, rationalization, we have a, we've been able to really to minimize the multiple tools that provided the same capability across the enterprise. And one other thing that we're doing that I support as a CISO is um, we our end user consolidation, where now we have one single service provider um, at the department providing those desktop services. And as I've always said, um, you know, business drives cybersecurity. And so as being one of those foundational elements, it's been huge for us to, to make that transition, as well as close, of course, our data centers. And that's for me, uh, as a sizzle is important because now my attack surface, you know, really um, diminishes. And so that's good um, for me, including flattening networks. So just like um, your, my other counterparts as well, continuing to manage risk, we have versions of an agile ATO, fast track ATO, where we're trying to meet, you know, the business needs of the mission areas. So yes, very busy at, at Department of Agriculture. Um, and so glad to, to be on today to talk about some of those things. It sounds like you've got a lot of moving parts going on. Congratulations. I know that's a, that takes a lot to go to letter grades in a huge agency like that. So um, uh, hats off to everyone over there. I'm sure that SOC consolidation activity probably helped that. Shane, a whole bunch of activity going on over at uh, U.S. Immigration and Citizenship Services. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of uh, activity in regards to hybrid cloud, multi-cloud uh, implementation, uh, SOC consolidation assessments, et cetera. Give us a state of the state as to what's going on over there these days. Way too much. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Uh, and it is truly nice to be part of an actual cybersecurity panel as opposed to some cloud thing. So that's, that, that's really great. Um, you know, USCIS is unique in, in, in a number of different ways, um, but primarily, you know, we are a very cloud heavy organization. We started in cloud probably 10 years ago. At this point, we're 80, maybe even 85% cloud-based. Um, that, uh, that alone itself has driven a number of initiatives. And so when I stepped into the role of CISO, almost, well, I guess almost two years ago, coming up on two years, um, we also, at the same, about that same time, recognized some significant changes in our threat landscape um, and realized we had to retool our entire program from the ground up. Um, and so we did that. We reissued, we, we created a brand new cyber initiative, um, an enhanced cybersecurity strategy, got that approved by senior leadership all the way through the, up to the department. Um, and really begin focusing first and heavily on ending our compliance mindset, moving towards a very heavy risk-based model. We were well on our way already, um, but we really had some elements that were left over for kind of like an old school approach to security. Um, we also began focusing heavy on data. As an agency, you know, we're not the biggest federal agency on the, on the planet, but at the same time, we still managed to generate seven terabytes worth of log data a day. Um, clearly the data is critical for us. Um, we need to focus on that data and begin utilizing it to our advantage as opposed to just collecting it. Um, and, and finally, we needed to recognize the chaos. Um, you know, part of cybersecurity is a chaotic world and we needed to become a more fluid, more nimble security organization. 
you know, we adopted a more uh, ops-based approach to how we do security. Um, even within the SOC, we use chat ops now as opposed in our incident response. Uh, we focused heavily on automation, um, and we we deployed you know a SOAR tool, so we began pulling in all this information so that I could end the days of having people stare at screens looking for alerts. Um, actually, I don't have that anymore. Now, what I have is, is an entire SOC made up of threat hunters, um, because that's really where the future is. And, and so moving and modernizing all those aspects of the, of, the, of the security program has really been my focus and has continued to be my focus and then a lot, number of initiatives along that front. It sounds fantastic. I know that it's a, 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 a fast-moving target with all the Dex, DevSecOps activity that's going on the multi-cloud. Yep. And being able to instrument that and put the tools in place to allow you to get into that more of a, a threat hunting sort of posture, I'm sure is very important. Chris, um, I, I would imagine that Infoblox is right smack in the middle of those types of things and helping these department and agencies uh, instrument themselves to the point where they can they can enable this type of capability and secure it and, and then manage based on risks. Oh yeah, most definitely. And good morning. Uh, I think the, the interesting aspect of it is Shane hit it, a lot of it pretty well of what we want to hear from customers about what they're doing and the successes they're having. The agencies that we work with across the FedCiv, the DOD, and the IC, they're starting to realize the benefits of the value of visibility and containment in real time. Uh, as the number of alerts increases, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges is with a decentralized workforce that we have now, it's even more imperative that you have an understanding of the actual nature of all of the network intelligence that comes from those seven terabytes of logs, for example, and what to make of that. And then combining that, marrying that up with the necessary threat intelligence to say, what do I prioritize? What do I look for? What's related? How do I, how do I contain this particular threat? And, and classify it and rank it. Uh, and then relying on those ecosystem automations to rapidly detect, contain, mitigate, and remediate those threats. So that's where we're, we're seeing a lot of benefit uh, with, uh, with the agencies we're working with. Sure, and uh, you know, it, it's really about putting capability in. So uh, Jim, how about over at Fortinet, you all are right smack in the middle of the ecosystem trying to enable this environment, make sure it stays secure. Uh, what are you seeing out there? What's the state of the state these days? So good afternoon, Luke. Well, that, that's entirely correct. And, you know, Fortinet is a company that has over 40 product lines, and we try to figure out how to harness those to the benefit of our, of our government customers. And, and Chris alluded to the fact that, that uh, AI-driven automation is key to this, that we in the industry have essentially been doing AI and machine learning long enough that it has gotten increasingly powerful to the point where we can now characterize network activity in real time to know what's normal and then what's abnormal and neural networking can tell you what's abnormal and something you simply want to monitor and what is on balance probably malicious. So you can see this while it's coming in hitting a target before it succeeded, you can put a block in place there and you can block it globally. And not only have we started to develop that kind of power, but with that increasing power, it's, it's become more, it, it, you've been, we've been actually able to make it simpler as well as it becomes more sophisticated. So now we're at the point where we can say, here's standalone versions that government customers can actually deploy in their network on premise because you've got data where you don't even want the telemetry 
going off premise. So now we can actually help them with AI to say, here is security driven AI. You can deploy, it reports to your SOC, and it's only going to get smarter as it develops. So we're really excited about that potential that we're now starting to bring to some of our government partners. John, uh, yeah, BMC has been around uh, quite some time. You've been on this journey with us as we've gone from sort of traditional legacy environments into these modern environments. What are you seeing out there and, 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 and where is BMC sort of, uh, sort of positioning themselves to continue on this journey and help us secure these environments? Yeah, so good afternoon and uh, you know, thanks, for, thanks for having me. You know, so when we look at when we look at where we're headed, you know, we're, BMC is really focused. You know, under unlike maybe the traditional scanning or think of it in terms of antivirus or, or those kind of things. A lot of the things that we're doing is is really focused around blind spot detection, remediation, vulnerability management, and closed loop compliance. Right. So as we look at, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna actually cheerlead for a couple of our panelists here in terms of uh, you know Venus and, and Wanda here for a second. Um, you know, USDA, you know, Venus was talking about some of the things that, that's going on there. Um, you know, I think some unbelievable strides here, you know, made USDA is a, is a uh, significant customer of ours and, and um, you know, happy, very happy to, to, uh, to have Venus here. And, and like I said, I'm going to cheerlead, cheerlead uh, that organization here for a second. So, um, you know, I, like I said, a lot of what we're doing, you know, there, you know, you know with USDA is, uh, you know, so much around, um, blind spot detection, um, over 90% of physical infrastructure as well as platform as a service, um, you know, recognize resolving orphan IPs, shoring up some of those vulnerabilities. So things that are sitting, that, that weren't, were unknown sitting out on the network and, and being able to, um, to take care of those, resolving orphan IPs and that, and that kind of thing. So the other thing that, that is really kind of exciting here is, is looking at, you know, so many of the things, whether it's patches or, or otherwise, usually those are known vulnerabilities, right? And at USDA, they've been able to really, really auto-populate a configuration management database, um, prioritize and deploy patches based on full visibility and application mapping, um, you know, that kind of thing. So what was once, I think, a very Herculean effort um, over, you know, 13,000 man hours, let's say a year ago to, to patch servers, is all the way down to, to 912, right? Which is, that's a you know, over 90% efficiency gain. So, um, you know, just tremendous, tremendous strides made by, by USDA. And, and um, you know, I'll, I'll cheerlead here for, for a second with, with the Air Force as well. Some really uh, unbelievable strides I think recently made over there around you know, mapping out some, de some dependencies and building out operational service models over, over, over 40,000 servers, right? So phase two of that is, is ingestion of vulnerability data to uh, an automation console, prioritize patching infrastructure and endpoints, and then you know finally con you know consistency of server server image configuration and policy adherence, you know allowing for far more consistent visibility and, and really mitigation or elimination of, of those blind spots. Really appreciate that being able to take that type of technology and help them sort of deal with this massive attack surface. Venus, let's go over to you and just what, what are the priorities sitting in front of you, say, uh, over the, the, the rest of this year, sort of rolling into next year? Yeah, so Luke, as, as I stated, you know, business drives cybersecurity. So the things that the missionaries and the business owners need to do to deliver, you know, um, USDA services drives my priorities. So in order, to, in order for me to enable that, one of the things we're embarking upon is how do we use the RPA, the robotic process automation, really to simplify 
you know, some of our processes and really allow people to do what we call, you know, that high level um, work. And so from a cybersecurity perspective, how do I secure a non-person entity? Because, you know, we, we rely on identity proofing with individuals, but how do you do that when it's a bot? So that's been great for us if we've moved into really maximizing the use of RPA, not just in our financial section of Department of Agriculture, but now within the mission areas. And so that's one. The other thing is, of course, I continue to manage risk. And so as we've moved to, you know, version two of um, 837, the risk management framework, I've also implemented, I spent this entire year planning for RMF 2.0. And so October 1st will be the kickoff, where we'll do a re-education of our entire roles and responsibilities from the authorizing official, you know, down to the ISSO, just so they understand really what does it mean to accept risk? And then the next step in that would be to quantify that risk. Haven't decided on a model yet, but still um, exploring. I'm working with my Department of Energy. They've, they're using the FAIR model, so we're taking a look at the work that they've done. So mm -hmm. trying to figure out how can we really quantify risk so that when we talk about buying down risk, we actually know the cost of that risk. And so, of course, then lastly, of course, can't, talk, can't not miss talking about zero trust, right? Um, so one of the things we did, not only you know closing the data centers 39 to 2 and then flattening our networks, that really helps us and, and ushers us into the zero trust um, journey. You know, how is the data accessed? Where is it accessed from? Accessed by whom? And if you had trust yesterday, does that mean you have trust tomorrow? So having all of that technology in place, and you know, zero trust is, is technology agnostic. So it, I know that it will be, you know, multiple um, vendors within um, my journey on zero trust. So those are kind of the three things that we're focused on, um, my priorities for the upcoming year at the Department of Agriculture, you know, as I continue to secure the data and the mission of the systems. Okay, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum. This is Bob Fortnat. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to FortinetFederal.com. Are your security practices in lockstep with the changes being driven by your digital transformation efforts? Are you sure? Security threats are on the upswing, and while you race to keep up, regulatory compliance requirements keep changing, too. Employing adaptive cybersecurity allows you to automatically ingest your scanner data in near real time, react, respond to threats to protect your agency and mission, and meet your compliance obligations. Learn how BMC can help with your agency's adaptive cybersecurity needs at bmc.com. Search public sector. Here's Paul Beckman from the Department of Homeland Security on the Federal Executive Forum on Cybersecurity Strategies for Defense and Homeland, sponsored by Infoblox. Zero Trust is going to be probably the biggest thrust that we're, we're working on right now, building the foundations of Zero Trust. And the one thing I like to say about Zero Trust is, you know, it's not something that you need to go out and buy a solution for. It's uh, getting back to the basics, uh, getting back to the principles. I like to say what's old is new again. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Federal Executive Forum. Broader advancement in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management? Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit infobloxfederal.com. 
Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about cybersecurity strategies, and we were just talking about priorities. And I'm going to throw it over to you, Jim. Uh, what, what are they? You have a unique situation there, a unique position there, where you're kind of seeing these different efforts going on across the departments and agencies. And what are the priorities for Fortinet? So, Luke, that's a very good question. And uh, let me give you some of the priorities we have. One is one that uh, is six months old, but it's not an oldie, and that's the pivot we all made to remote secure telework. And the good news is we all made it. We all got it that implemented. We cut red. We cut through red tape. The challenge is recognizing when we also cut corners on things like security policy and human nature being what it is. Where we are now with our field expedient patches or, or situation is likely to become the baseline for new normal. So figuring out especially how to secure that remote environment, the home users environment. We certainly saw threat actors pivot to start to target that environment. So it's working with the agencies to say, so do you have a way to either isolate the workload of the employee or make sure that they don't have parallel VPNs or accessing other assets in the local environment? And yes, when they're bringing the traffic back to the network or to your cloud, are you actually able to do that deep packet inspection you know, even when it's SSL encrypted? It's one thing to have the people on the security side say, yes, we have the capability, but talking to the network people who say, yes, we actually were able to implement it with that volume. We didn't turn it off because the latency was killing us. So that's one thing. The second thing that is a priority over the next year is helping agencies figure out how to spend smarter. This is one where I do a lot of work with state and local government who have watched their resources crater as a result of COVID. Now, the federal government has had the luxury, if you will, of being able to continue to operate and even run a deficit, unlike state and local government. But their current reality is your coming reality, because I would, I would posit that a new Congress, another administration, regardless of the outcome of the election, is going to recognize deficits matter, and you'll be facing a fiscal climate that will make the sequestration we all lived through 10 years ago look mild. So helping you figure out, A, how you can do IT in that environment, and B, how you can deliver cybersecurity in that environment, because we all know when the dollars get tight, one of the first things that's that you cut corners on is cybersecurity. So starting agencies to think about how to spend smarter, whether that's uh, software-defined networking, whether it's solutions where you can continue, as Vina said, to leverage automation, whether it's RPA or on the security side. These are things that I think are worth thinking about now rather than when you get the budget cuts and say, oh dear, how do I deal with this? Right, and that that's sort of, I'm thinking about risk, right, and, and sort of weighing your risk, and once you can sort of define and baseline that, uh, you know, sort of where your risk posture is that, and how far you're willing to go and how much it's going to cost. That, that's exactly what I say. When you can't right. afford to do everything, how do you set your priorities? And it's the classic, uh, you know, NIST risk management framework. 100%. Wanda, I would imagine that you're looking at a lot of different priorities there at, uh, at the Air Force. Tell us about your priorities that uh, you, you see in front of you over the next year. Oh, I can uh, provide a list long, but um, we know that uh, we have to focus on the critical uh, initiatives that we want to accomplish over the next year. Cybersecurity is a key enabler. And so we have to understand where we fit into the initiatives. One of the major ones, it, of course, is our enterprise IT as a service model. We are well on our way. We have a number of bases that have transitioned. And part of that is to ensure that we do um, the cybersecurity portions 
um, for our help desk, for our infrastructure modernization um, moving forward. We are in our risk reduction effort um, phase, and so we're continuing to add bases and learning as we go. Um, we're working very closely with the uh, industry partners um, in the various areas right now. Other priorities, as Venus mentioned, is zero trust. Um, we have to crack that nut. Um, we are now in our pilot phase. Um, we got approved recently along with the other uh, services to move out based on our concept of operations. Um, we are standing up our environment now and going through um, our testing piece um, over the next 45 days. And then lastly, um, we just need a integrated model for our, uh, to improve our response to incidents and then our recovery efforts. Um, we do an excellent job from a network standpoint. The areas that I wanna focus on is when we have incidents on our weapons side and our control system side, because they're the last ones and they're segmented most times. And so when we get or not get the reports, we don't have an integrated picture of cybersecurity and where we stand. And so looking at all of that, the theme going into FY21 will be cyber accountability. Um, we need more of that. Um, we have to do it in every space that we're in. And so my goal is to ensure that we do that and do it smartly, while we also understand that we have a limitation on our resources. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, uh, the, the good old days of guards, gates, and locks are gone, right? You have all these embedded systems in these aircraft and the airmen and the satellites, you know, the, you know the, these, these aircraft are just, you know, flying data centers at this point, right? So uh, zero trust seems like you just have to be able to have some sort of a capability like that to in order to, uh, you know, secure this environment and do it in a way that uh, is thoughtful and, and risk-based and, uh, and, and mindful of the dollars, right? There's just not an infinite amount of dollars to do all these things. Chris, how about uh, InfoBlock? Uh, what are you seeing out there and uh, what can we expect? I, I think both Jim and, and Venus had, had summed up a couple of points quite well. One is is obviously the work from home and, and what what is no longer new and just is, is normal moving forward. But Venus talked about something with respect to business driving <clears throat> driving security. And, and that's true, it's always been that way. The, the challenge has been the introduction of technology or business here, and security has been long tail behind it, and moving that up much closer to the event of, of, of changing your business model, change, you know, implementing new technologies uh, like the Air Force is doing, and so on and so forth. You need to be able to have security be part of the initial conversation uh, is the key point of that. From our perspective, uh, you know, as, as Jim had said, was, you know, working, work from home folks and understanding that, you know, all of us are, or most of us are, are teleworking right now, even for this panel, uh, I'm relying upon a Soho router, uh, you know, that's less than $200 and that's securing my home network, which has, you know, somewhat trusted devices, but have zero security on them. You know, my, my kids have devices over my left shoulder that, uh, were never had security built in. How does that affect my corporate systems that I'm working with here? And from our perspective, you know, we InfoBlocks manages uh, on-premise in the virtual aspects of DNS, DHCP, and IP address management combined with the Threat Intel. But because we also manage the DNS, we we have the ability to implement that as a control point. And a lot of organizations that we come across aren't utilizing that for anything other than a service availability feature. 
and and so we actually had that as, as a stop you know, stopping point for all DNS traffic. And, and there was an FCW interview about a month ago, uh, and the NSA cybersecurity director said, and I quote, secure DNS can reduce malware attacks by 92% on a given network. If you know that DNS is a gap and all you're doing is logging it or looking at it after the fact and not using that as a control point to stop, this is a gaping hole in your network. And if you can prevent 92% of attacks just within that one control point, why aren't you doing something about it? And that's the biggest question that I'm asking CISOs around the agencies that we support is, how, how do, you know, if you know that you could do something, if you know that you can you know, change the lock on this door and make it harder to tamper with, you can secure that, that soft point. Why are you not doing it? Right. Put that uh, lock on the door, take that off the table, right? Again, champ uh, that down and get you to a point where you can do some of this threat hunting uh, type activity that uh, Shane, you were talking about. So I know Shane over at Citizen and Immigration Services, there's a lot of activity going on over there, a lot of different priorities. Uh, what priorities do you have in your job jar uh, these days? Yeah, USCIS was not satisfied by a single cloud. We wanted to do multi-cloud. So one of the big initiatives we're pushing is to go multi-cloud. Um, you know, what does that mean from a system side? Uh, that means microservices and, and, and serverless deployments um, and, and, the, and the like, and the technologies around that. When you start looking at it from a security perspective, you've actually fundamentally changed what a system looks like. Um, actually, in, in so many ways, it doesn't even meet the definition under FISA of what a system is. So we have to begin re-looking at how we look at, how we authorize that, how we manage that, and how, more importantly, how we secure that. Um, you know, we're, we're currently in, you know, utilizing three different cloud providers and, and beginning our deployments across those clouds. So we have, to be able, we have to be able to secure all that. And that's where, you know, when I began, began my conversation, I talked about the importance of respecting the chaos. Um, and, and that means driving, having a very fluid, very nimble uh, you know, security program that can pivot. Um, so when COVID hit, uh, you know, one of the things we had to do was pivot and, and, and begin dealing with a workforce that on any given day was 5,000 teleworkers going to something, you know, north of 20,000. What is the impact for an agency like us that requires in-person interviews, requires the ability to meet with the public? How do we handle that? So they quickly had to deploy interviewing technology that allows us to still interview people but not do it face-to-face. -face. Um, that's a big lift. Um, and not only that, they wanted to incorporate it. It wasn't enough just to have a, a webcam set up that you know, does point-to-point. -point. No, they have to have, have it all integrated into the systems so they can sign and capture video and all these things. Our development teams were able to do that and do it quickly. And then the next piece, of course, is all the security wrapping around that. And so how do we manage all that? And so our focus has been having that a program, security program that can pivot like that and, and move and, and function kind of like the agile development teams do. And in many ways we are. So, you know, the, the focus for us is, is on that automation and on, on making sure that the tools that we have in place are not focused on the past, but more, fo more focused on what's, what's coming up next. Um, and so everything we do now is sort of focused on, hey, next generation, next this, next that and never being satisfied with the status quo. Um, because I think it's, that's sort of the trap that a lot of organizations, especially on the security side, we kind of get caught up in that's sort of that compliance mindset. It's like, oh, look, I've, I've got green across my scorecard, I'm good. Um, no, I'm not good. Um, you know, multi-cloud is, is a challenge. It doesn't add to your security, it actually makes security more challenging and more interesting. Um, but it, at the same time, it offers some really interesting, you know, new ways of doing things. Under the new, under the ATO system we're looking at doing, we're gonna begin ATOing the pipelines that are developed in. Anything generated out of that pipeline becomes, falls under that ATO boundary. What does that mean? ATO in 24 hours. 
Fantastic. So, that, that dream of ATO in a day is, yeah, it's interesting that uh, not only are you, uh, you know, doing the telework for the employees, you're actually trying to do this telework, you know, sort of remote interviewing. I'm sure that uh, that that risk posture is is interesting. And, you know, look, all of you have to learn how to play pickup basketball in this environment, right? Yeah, you had a plan, you had a strategy, the world changed, and you've got to adjust accordingly. John, um, I would imagine over at BMC, you've got a lot of priorities. You're seeing a lot of priorities being imposed on you to solve or help solve for these departments and agencies. Uh, tell us about those. Yeah, well, I, you know, obviously a lot of the agencies are, are at various stages, whether it's transformation or modernization efforts that, that include, um, you know, retirement or modernization of, of legacy technologies. Um, you know, apart from the scanning, which is something we, we natively, we integrate with, and we spent a lot of time with, with the other panelists talking about, you know, automation and visibility so that decision makers can really get to the point where they're making decisions, right? Um, we, you know, we provide a lot of the underpinning technology stack to identify assets, analyze, assess operational risk, and then really restore or modify, you know, governance, right? So, you know, really where, where our focus is right now is to really further expand our technology um, around the automation and dashboarding console, which really the, the goal there is, is providing a single view of remediation opportunities, blind spot detection, <clears throat> excuse me, blind spot detection and, and risk and impact analysis. So that those decisions can be made, which is something that I think plagues a lot of agencies today is, you know, something goes down or there's, there's an outage or those kind of things. A lot of folks get in the room and, and it's kind of point fingers at one another, what'd you change, what'd you change? Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of our, a lot of our customers are going through various, various stages of transformational efforts. Um, and we just were talking about multi-cloud or hybrid cloud strategies, um, which does provide certainly agility efforts that didn't exist today, but balancing that agility with run and reinvent in a secure focus is, is really where a lot of our value realization efforts are and, and, and doing that in a, in a very consistent and methodical way. That balance, that delicate balance is really important um, uh, from, from a, just a perspective. Again, if I'm looking at my risk posture, I've got to be able to balance these different activities, make the right choices. Love this question, lessons learned. And uh, when I say lessons learned, it might be lessons learned on the positive side. It might be lessons learned. Hey, if I could uh, have a do-over, uh, but I think it's really valuable for the community. Wanda, let me start with you. Uh, lessons learned are the things that you're sort of uh, sort of discovering uh, that you'd like to share with the uh, community? Oh, absolutely. Um, what we've learned um, based on this pandemic that we can pivot and we can pivot fast. Um, we learned that we're very resilient and that we're able to make changes even to policy um, to facilitate um, a telework um, environment. The mission doesn't stop because of the environment. And so we're able to do that. And that, you know, we found that policies were in, um, were not as um, limiting as we thought they were. Um, we've also found that, you know, they were old and outdated. And so we went and looked at policies, made changes. We incorporated uh, new techniques and tools to be able to move fast and forward. Um, we understand that challenges happen, um, cybersecurity, um, is something that has to be done and not done at the end. And so some of the lessons learned is we have to collaborate. Uh, we have to be able to work with our um, industry partners as well as our sister services. And so part of the lessons learned is we can do it. 
We just need to figure out how to do it and do it smartly. Resources are limited. And so by using automation, collaboration, we know that we can continue to move forward and cybersecurity is a key enabler in the entire process. We're gonna take a, a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Are your security practices in lockstep with the changes being driven by your digital transformation efforts? Are you sure? Security threats are on the upswing, and while you race to keep up, regulatory compliance requirements keep changing too. Employing adaptive cybersecurity allows you to automatically ingest your scanner data in near real time, react, respond to threats to protect your agency and mission, and meet your compliance obligations. Learn how BMC can help with your agency's adaptive cybersecurity needs at bmc.com. Search public sector. This is Bob Fortnock. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to FortinetFederal.com. Here's Paul Beckman from the Department of Homeland Security on the Federal Executive Forum on Cybersecurity Strategies for Defense and Homeland, sponsored by Infoblox. Zero Trust is going to be probably the biggest thrust that we're, we're working on right now, building the foundations of Zero Trust. And the one thing I like to say about Zero Trust is, you know, it's not something that you need to go out and buy a solution for. It's uh, getting back to the basics, uh, getting back to the principles. I like to say what's old is new again. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Federal Executive Forum. Right. Broader advancements in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management? Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit InfoBloxFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cybersecurity strategies, and we were just talking about lessons learned, sort of pluses and minuses, if you will. Uh, Chris, I'm going to throw it over to you at Infoblox. I'm sure you've seen a lot of lessons learned out there that you'd like to impart and share with the audience. I do a lot of, a lot of consultative work with a number of agencies. Uh, one of the things that kind of slapped everybody in the face. Digital transformation is happening, uh, you know, a lot faster than many were prepared for. Uh, as, as Vina said, you know, leveraging your fellow CIOs, your CISOs, as a former Air Force blue suitor, Wanda, I know that the Air Force is leading the charge over the Army and the Navy and the Marines, so go at it. Leveraging those folks to, you know, to kind of short circuit, you know, zero trust and, you know, federated approaches to security. We're all pushing forward together to, to continue to do the mission, whatever that mission may be. You know, let's, let's not all, you know, get burnt by the fire at the same time. Uh, learn from your peers. Uh, second, you know, don't overestimate the capabilities of, of various technologies. A lot of times you'll see things that are, oh yeah, we also do that. And, and, and we, come, we come across that approach. You know, one case in particular is a VPN when I talk to various organizations and they say, oh, but it's okay, we have a VPN. Uh, not to discount VPN technologies, they're really great at one of the aspects of the CIA triad, which is confidentiality of data in transit. But it's really good at transporting malware. It's really good at transporting malware communications that traverse the tunnel. 
there is nothing about the overarching aspect of security that's built into a VPN. It just creates a secure tunnel and it doesn't care about what goes through. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, understanding the aspects of what are the capabilities of adversaries, their tactics, their techniques, their procedures, and generalizing that aspect. Uh, you know, as we've seen, Infoblox has done a lot of work with uh, a couple of agencies around taking down domains that have been very nefarious to COVID activities from the research and uh, even the financial aspect of, of delivering the, the uh, PPP checks and such to, to entities. When we find something that's out there that's bad on the internet, we knock it down. But it's a phishing attack most often. It's the theme of the attack that often changes, not the methodology. And I, you know, that's the other aspect is, is that people are realizing that and are just shifting the, to look for and address those particular pieces. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone uh, got uh, sort of smashed in the face, if you will, uh, during this whole digital transition. And then over this, uh, you know, remarkable uh, uh, transition over into a, a, a fully remote virtual environment. Venus, let's uh, ask you about your lessons learned. You've been through a lot of activities over there, a bunch of activities that I think very large departments and agencies would dream of being able to do with your stock consolidations, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you've got some really fantastic lessons learned you'd like to impart. Thank you. I actually do like this question because the thing about lessons learned is that means that you are, in order to learn, you need to document what you're doing, right? And always take a look back when you're completed an activity. And so um, as, as Wanda said, collaboration is key. That public part public-private partnership and working with the industry partners is, is key. And we saw that here in, in COVID in our current environment. Um, with all of the industry partners that are within USDA, having that meeting to say, okay, here's where we are. What's my investment? Am I maximizing my investment? How can I use my investment in this current posture? So, so that was one of the key things we learned was collaborating with our industry partners. Um, and, and I had already, you know, I'm happy to say that that's something that I did when I arrived here at USDA was meeting with the industry partners just to make sure that I didn't have just tools for tools sake, but that I had the right tools for the capabilities I need to secure USDA. The other lesson learned, and Chris, you touched on it, was we have to teach and remind our system owners and business owners to bake cybersecurity in because it's definitely more expensive to bolt it on when you're done. And when they're planning for modernization efforts to include cybersecurity as well, um, a secure SDLC or CICD, a DevSecOps, those aren't just buzzwords. Those should, those should be the way that we do business. So I think having to, to teach sometimes and remind and work with our business owners, that's key. And I can't say enough about governance, governance, governance. What I learned was governance is key. And in that, not, I don't mean just people sitting around the table, you know, and saying we had a governance meeting, but I mean a real decision-making body whereby you can tie your investments to that governance body, your requirements to that governance body. And if ever asked the question, you actually have an opportunity and a way that you can go back and say, we did this and made this decision because of this. And that's what governance will uh, allow you to do and having the right people at the table. And then of course, codifying the work that you're doing um, is very important. When we started the SecOps consolidation, I codified it in 
the cybersecurity framework. I codified, you know, my workforce with the NICE framework because that ensured that it's not personality driven, you know, because when the day and time come that I leave USDA, I like to know that the work will continue because it is rooted and grounded in uh, a policy and a standard. And it wasn't just, you know, I'm going to say a Venusism, so to speak. And so those are the lessons um, that I think I've learned and I, I would share, you know, with my industry counterparts and, and my federal counterparts here is really, you know, baking it in, maintaining governance and makes it you codify and you cannot collaborate enough. Amen on that one. Uh, Shane, give us the top lesson learned. You know, the nice thing about a DevX ops sort of environment that we work in is the concept of failure being a positive. You know, fell early, fell often is sort of that, that, uh, that, that concept and learn quickly. Um, and so, you know, we, failure for us is sort of a day, is something we accept and actually kind of, I wouldn't say enjoy, but embrace. Uh, and so a couple of things we've learned out of that, um, especially being one of the early adopters of cloud, uh, you know, if your infrastructure is code, your security is code. Um, what does that mean for a security operation? That means you're, you're going to have developers in your SOC. Um, every cloud incident I have worked required developers, not just security analysts, not just SOC analysts, actual developers. So, you know, you look at my, the, the actual nature and makeup of my SOC has changed because of that. Um, you recognize that and, and, and recognize that any of the security aspects, any of the security apparatuses that you're going to put in place, you're going to want developers there as well. Um, and so that's one of the first big changes, one of the first things we learned very quickly that we needed in our security operations. Um, the second thing that we did, um, and, you know, and this seems really quite obvious, but it, for whatever reason, we seem to forget to do it, is, is sort of the easy button approach to security. Um, one of the, you know, USCIS has been wildly successful with our approach to doing zero trust. Um, you know, we are fully single sign-on across the agency. Most of our major systems, almost all of our business systems have all of our authorizations our, and roles and, and all that are baked into our ICAM program. So we, we've really done this great job of doing that. The reason we've been so successful at it, though, is we made it easy. In other words, we made it to the advantage of the system owners and the business owners to want to do this. It wasn't something that I had to force them to do, it's something they just actually want to do because at the end of the day, it makes their lives better. Um, and so that we took that approach and pushing that out in other things like secrets management within cloud becomes unbelievably critical. Um, something that we didn't take, didn't necessarily see coming, but in managing our secrets has become such a critical aspect of our security operations that, that I can't stop, foot stomp it enough. Get in front of it first and fast and stay in front of it. Um, if not, you will get owned. Right. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things we've learned so far. Uh, I'm sure we'll learn something more tomorrow. I'm sure you will. Simplification, uh, very important. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with our last question here, John. Let's start with you. Sort of, you know, what does it look like in two years from now? What can we expect from BMC from the ecosystem? Yeah. So we know with the, in terms of what the future holds. We know our adversaries on this front continue to come up with new and inventive ways to penetrate. So I think as we look at it, is elimination a possibility? Um, is, that re is that probably realistic? You know, potentially not, right? Um, I think at, at BMC, we do think, however, that there's a, there's a great opportunity in front of us to be as efficiently as, as possible, right? So, you know, when we look at where, where we're headed, we look at blind spot detection, um, largely done in a zero footprint environment, but it's limited by the, by, you know, hindrances or, or areas where we can manage or remediate, right? We consider the ability to ensure, you know, security 
automating across multiple environments, whether that's you know, multi-cloud, hybrid, or, or physical in a zero footprint environment, can drastically increase the time of value for, for, for agencies and I think make them much more agile, right? So when you look at it, when you're breaking that down a little bit, you know, compliance controls, full system of, you know, full cycle of system discovery, monitoring, remediation, and, and change control, um, a security view of operational plans, right? Visualize elimination of risk with graphical views of, of planned operations, predictive SLAs and burndowns, and then service and operational analytics, right? So, oh, wait, way to sort of tie it all together, it sounds like, right? It, exactly, right? So bringing that together into a, you know, visibility analytics and automation into a, a single operational console is, is, is really in the near window for us and, and something we're, we're really excited to, to, to continue to mature. Fantastic. Jim, Fortinet, what can we expect to see sort of around the corner, if you will? So to build on the comments that John had said and to paraphrase a classic movie, the future is not plastics, it's platform. And by platform, I don't mean cloud versus on-prem. I mean the thought that there are these broad ecosystems of devices that you can put across the breadth of the attack surface. We always talk about the growing attack surface makes our life complicated, yes. But if you instrument it, and if the instrumentation is sensors, and if it's reporting, and we're using this big data analytics, and we're then able to automate our response, this actually allows us to take the advantage away from the attacker. I mean, if you step back strategically, this is a tipping point because attackers are not perfect. We all know they try and fail innumerable times before they succeed. When you do an incident investigation and you look at the firewall log, you go, yep, here's when and how they got in and you look farther back in the cron file and you go, and look, here's all the failed attempts. They've relied on the fact that we're not looking everywhere in real time. If you get an alert in the SOC, you don't know if it's a false positive or a real one. Even if you decide it is legitimate, is it significant or is it a tier one alert? And if I do know this is worth responding to, how do I respond? The AI and ML that should do that. And it's not something that has to come from one vendor. There are broad ecosystem families. So my, my vision of the future is one where when you do procurement, you add a third P to the criteria. We always look at performance, we look at price, but we don't look at platform. And as a former big dollar federal procurement person, for me, a bad outcome would have been to upgrade three parts of my security infrastructure and realize only after the fact that I had bought into three different platform families because I'm not getting redundancy. I'm not getting something that provides checks and balances on the weaknesses of each one. I'm leaving synergy lying on the cutting room floor. So my vision of the future is we recognize this is a reality and we start saying any platform is better than no platform. But, but recognize it's an additional criteria we ought to be looking at. Chris, InfoBlocks, what can we expect uh, around the corner over the horizon? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, work from home uh, really is, is the, the new normal. We're also now starting to see study from home. The big challenge with all of that is, is that we're, we're busier and, and how are we more effective? One of the challenges with everything that's going along, and we've we even experienced it in the course of this particular uh, webcast is we can't just talk to each other during the breaks the way we could in the studio. Uh, you can't just walk down the hall anymore and talk to somebody. We are now more and more reliant upon the resources of the connection to the internet and connection to the apps, connection to uh, our cloud resources. 
we have to focus on three things, you know, security first, uh, after availability, you know, get availability out of the way. We've done that largely, but now you have to focus on the security behind it, locking out the intruders or containing them. Um, second, with most everything in the cloud, and let's face it, if you're at home, the cloud is could be an on-premise data center. It's still away from you. Um, we're, you know, we're dependent upon that connectivity and resiliency. You know, you have to be able to connect with people, data, and applications. I think that some of the, the actors that are going to be out there, especially from a nation state perspective, are going to be looking for the continued ways into networks, but also how can I mess with, you know, an entire agency's cloud system and shut them off? I mean, we've all, we all have dealt with, you know, what happens when there are glitches in our, in our online, you know, telesystems like Zoom and others when, when there's a heavy demand and all of a sudden everything starts glitching or whatever. We have to be resilient and we have to have connectivity. Uh, your cloud must be there at all times, uh, standing ready despite any physical or virtual attacks that may be knocking at the door. Shane, uh, what can we expect at, uh, at uh, USCIS? You know, is it, uh, if I'm gonna be looking for benefits in the future, will I be able to do it virtually even in a post-COVID world? We're close, we're getting there. Um, I, you know, for me, you know, from a security perspective, you know, my goal is to build a security program that can detect, respond, and recover from a zero-day attack and have the cyber hygiene to require one. Um, you know, so what does that mean? You know, I respect the fact, I expect that the future is going to hold a no perimeter sort of infrastructure. You know, when we moved into the cloud and, and the more we've moved into the cloud, you know, we, we still pretend to have a perimeter, but it's just that, we, we're pretending. Um, that perimeter is gone. It has been gone for a while. We need to recognize that, embrace it, and more importantly, secure that. Um, moving heavily, you know, we've already started our, our inroads into the zero trust model, um, extending that out even further, going it down, all the way down to the data level, the metadata level, um, hardware, software, every aspect of your enterprise has to have that built in and it has to be built into the ground up. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm going to end the perimeter, you know, users are going to come in through the internet. They're just going to, there's no more VPN. There is, that, that's gone. So now you have to start talking about your, your levels of trust. You know, and trust is not a, a black or white, it's very gray. So you have to talk about degrees of trust and how you, and how you degrade trust over time. Um, and so you have to really begin thinking and building those models out. Um, and, and I think the last thing, you know, I, I really see, and we've done a lot, made a lot of inroads here in USCIS, is building out a security culture. Recognizing that the cybersecurity is the responsibility of every user, not just the, the security shop. Um, but, you know, and that's a great platitude to stay, say, and, and it's a great thing to put on a plaque. But, but how do you do that? You know, how do you drive that? How do you make that real? Um, you know, there's a number of initiatives and, you know, around different programs and different aspects to get people involved. You know, it, it, there's an aspect of training and focus training. You know, your, your training should not be universal. Your, your computer security awareness training for a, a seasoned executive is not, should not be the same as that of someone who's working in one of our field offices. You know, there, there's got to be a variation. It's got to be role-based. It's got to be based on the actual threats that one perceives for that, that individual and the roles that they serve the agency in. So that model is the future. That's where we're heading. And making sure that users understand their responsibility inside that model. Venus, how about at USDA? And on behalf of every rancher, every farmer, I want to thank you for everything you and your team are doing. 
what can we expect? What's it going to look like in a couple of years? Shane, that was a good lead in because um, what I talk about here is how do we inculcate a, a culture of cyber at USDA, meaning that cybersecurity is everyone's business and not just the 2210 or IT professionals. And so in order to do that, you know, of course, being, you know, one of the critical infrastructures, you know, food safety, food security, you know, agriculture, we saw that here during the, the pandemic, that it was very important that the security of the services that we provide in those systems was key. Um, and so in order to move forward, we're going to continue to definitely work on our zero trust, continue to build our threat hunt capability so that we can stay ahead um, as much as possible um, to the attackers really and start to think like them and really war game some of these scenarios in, adva in advance within our SOC and having you know, exercises within, cyber exercises within USDA with our mission areas. Um, we started down that path with, you know, with CyberStorm 2020 and so we'll continue that here um, at Department of Agriculture. Definitely trying to, you'll see us quantify risk because it's important to understand the cost of the risk that we are actually accepting. And, and you know, and, and you know, the, even the reputational risk that goes into that. Maximizing AI and ML in the SOC so that we can be proactive and preemptive and making sure that we can you know, respond and recover uh, appropriately. And then of course, I cannot do any of this without the, a skilled workforce. So making sure that we make the investment in our workforce, um, the training that they need, certifications that they need, the time off that they need, making sure that people are balancing that work-life balance. And we see that a lot here during COVID with all the Zoom meetings. And so as we move forward at USDA, continue to do the things that we're always already doing, but really build upon um, some of the other things I think we need to, to do better. And those are some of the areas that I'll focus on. Outstanding. Wanda, how about U.S. Air Force? Bring us home here in regards to what can we expect it to look like in a couple of years? What's an airman going to expect as they come out of the academy? Um, we are all trying to do the same thing. The culture is extremely important. We know that um, we want to continue with the basic cybersecurity hygiene. Very important. Um, we want to continue to migrate to the cloud, zero trust, um, and ensure that we have the policies that support um, the new environment that we find ourselves in. <clears throat> um, we've done great with our SEC DevOps, but we must not forget about our legacy systems. Um, that continues to be a focal point because you can't move everything to the cloud. It takes too much money to um, transform um, a lot of our legacy apps. And so we want to make sure we continue to secure those as well. Um, we want to make sure that we have a data-driven and threat-informed intelligence process. Um, we find that, you know, due to lack of resources, you can't secure everything. Um, we have to have a balance between cybersecurity risk, operational risk, and other risks that we have an integrated model that lets us determine what vulnerability is the most important fix and then how does it transform across the entire enterprise and so just like my um, fellow panel members we all have a lot to do uh, we continue to um, achieve and celebrate the successes but we also need to ensure that as we move into the future that we have the right eyesight on what's important why is important and then how does it really help the mission you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. 
Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.